let me say happy Mother's Day. Uh, I want to do something really special today. I want, I want all of our moms to stand, if you would. If you're expecting your first child all the way to you're a great-grandmother, I want all of our moms to stand. I just want to talk to you for a minute. Um, today is my mom's first Mother's Day in heaven. And I'm happy for her, but I wish that I would have taken the opportunity while she was alive to say what I'm going to say to you right now. And so, uh, and and then I I want to read something over you and and I want to pray for you. Um, I want you, as as I say these things and read these things today, I want you to picture Jesus grabbing you by both shoulders and looking you in the eye and saying this. He chose you to be called mom. And listen, dads are important. I'm a dad. And dads are hugely important in the lives of children. But nobody, I mean nobody, leaves a mark on a person's life like their mama. It's just a special God-given relationship that's really indescribable with words. And I wish that my mom were here today so I could tell her this. You believed in me more than anybody else in this world believed in me. Even me. You believed in me more than me. And you as moms, you know that's true. God hardwires you as a mother to believe the best for your kids, even when they get older and maybe they veer off track and and they're not living the life that you wished they would have lived. And, And if you're an older mom or a grandma, you know this. This is true. Your kid is not going to turn out like you want them to. It's just not going to happen, okay? They might be close, but their, their belief system, I mean, hopefully they believe in the same loving God, Lord, and Savior that you do, but their faith will even look different than yours. But here's the deal. As long as they live, and, and I'm telling you this because we, we usually don't take the opportunity to tell our moms this, Nobody will hold ever, 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 ever in their whole life, nobody will ever hold a place in your child's life like you do because you're mom and moms are just special. So I want to read this over you. It's from Proverbs 31. And uh, I I don't expect you to always feel like this is true. But this is God's word about women and mothers. And it goes like this. She is clothed with strength and dignity. She laughs without fear at her future. When she speaks, her words are wise. And she gives instructions with kindness. And and I know what you're thinking. I don't always instruct with kindness. I know. Just... Listen, she carefully watches over everything in her household and suffers nothing from laziness. 
And man, is that true. Moms are not lazy. Her children stand and bless her. I know, I know. Her husband praises her. There are many virtuous and capable women in the world, but you surpass them all. God's words, not mine. Charm is deceptive, and beauty does not last. But a woman who fears the Lord will be greatly praised. Reward her, and this is for everybody else, reward her for all she has done. Let her deeds publicly declare her praise. Let me pray for you real quick. God, thank you for moms. Thank you for my mama. And I I don't know if this is how it works in heaven, but if you could tell her Happy Mother's Day for me, I would love that. And, And tell her thank you for believing in me. God, I pray blessings on these moms. I pray that in only the way that you can, you would let them know how special they are. And even when we forget to thank our moms and tell our moms how much they mean to us, Lord, would you let them know that you love them and you intentionally pick them to carry the awesome title of mom. Keep them safe and bless their life in the days ahead more than they could ever imagine. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Be seated. Thank you. Thank you for for letting me share that moment with you. Um, We're really not, um, we're we're pretty down home and laid back here, so excuse me for a minute. Elizabeth, I forgot my water bottle back there. Can Can you grab that for me? The meds they have me on for my back make me have cotton mouth, so uh, so I'm gonna I'm gonna drink water and uh, and teach today. As far as you know, it's water. Thank you. All right. So last week, uh, Brandon kicked off this brand new series for us called Lost and Found, and I love that he started it by taking us back to our mission statement. And it's not going to be on the screens, but let me explain to you for a minute why the Bridge Fellowship exists. And really, this whole three-week series that we're in could, could really be, what is the Bridge Fellowship all about? Why do we exist? And, and it's called Lost and Found, but our, our mission statement actually is this. We birth this church. It exists to share the life-changing love of Jesus Christ with lost and hurting people. And we intentionally chose that word lost. And Brandon mentioned last week that, you know, a lot of times when it's associated with church or religion, people use lost in a negative sense, like, oh, they're lost. They're lost and going to hell kind of deal, right? And it almost makes it sound like when you're lost, that's a negative thing. And, and actually... When something is identified as lost, it actually declares and indicates that that thing has value. Because if you think about this, if you lose something that you don't care about, you never really think of it as lost. It's just gone. Like you, 
if, if there's something you, you care nothing about, you, you don't walk around going, I lost my this, I got to find it. You, you just forget about it because it didn't have value to you. But when you say, I lost blank, fill in the blank for your life, and you're looking for it, the fact that you declare it as lost and the fact that you're spending time in your life looking for that thing, it absolutely defines the fact that that thing had value to you. And we want to be a church that intentionally and creatively uh, and authentically shares the answer to life with those lost people. People who have lost their way. People who are lost on their own without Jesus. We, we want to share the answer to life, and that is a relationship with Jesus Christ. And, and so um, this series that we're in called Lost and Found comes from Luke chapter 15, and it's, uh, it's three stories about something that was lost and found. Brandon started us off last week with a woman who lost a coin and in her house, and she literally turned her house upside down looking for that coin because it was so valuable to her. Today we're going to talk about a sheep that got lost, and next week we're going to talk about a son who got lost. And you could take all three of these stories, ball them up into one, and that's who we want to be as a church. That's what we want to be about as a church, okay? So um, if, you, if you have your smartphone or your Bible or whatever, you want to turn to Luke chapter 15, you can do that. I want to start by telling you a story that didn't happen to me. It, it happened to a, a pastor that I just happened to look up to a lot. Uh, his name is Jim Bergen, and he uh, pastors Flatirons Community Church up in Denver. It's a church that I'm very fond of and has had a, a huge impact on my life. But um, several years ago, Jim got the opportunity, and he's been dozens of times since then, but he got the opportunity to go to South Sudan uh, and work with a tribe of people called the Maasai. And the Maasai tribe of people uh, are, are, are unique because of the way their families and their, their culture is structured. And, and so uh, he goes there and, and visits for the first time, and he gets introduced to the village leaders. And the village leaders there uh, have a high regard for men who are spiritual leaders wherever they are, whether it's in their Maasai tribe or anywhere in the world, they, they hold spiritual leaders in extremely high regard. And so these village leaders of this Maasai tribe asked Jim to speak to the whole tribe. They said to him, we're going we're gonna to gather the whole tribe together and we want you to speak to them. And he's like, I speak country. I don't speak African. I don't even know what I would say to these people. And uh, one of the leaders that spoke English said, I'll translate for you, but it would be an honor for us if you would speak to our whole tribe. So they, they gathered the tribe together, and one of the first things he noticed is how interesting it was how they gathered. In other words, when they called the whole tribe together, they sat in three groups, men, women, and, and, and some children were with the women, but over here, the third group was the shepherd boys. It was the little boys who, who shepherded these, these, uh, the tribe's goats and sheep. And I actually have a picture today of a Maasai shepherd. 
so you'll see what these, these uh, guys look like. And this is still what they look like today. Um, in 2014, I went to Tanzania, a, a different part of Africa, but there are Maasai tribes there too. And we'd be driving down a highway, a four-lane highway, and off to the side, we'd see some goats and one of these little boys in their red tunics, in their red clothing, shepherding sheep in 2014. And so it still happens uh, today. Um, so Jim is trying, he, he's panicking. He's like, what, what am I going to say to these people? And it, it had to be the Holy Spirit. It had to be God. You're going to see how much God was involved in this. But he, he thought, I'm just going to tell the three stories in Luke chapter 15. These three stories that we're studying over the, the course of this series. And so he, he tells the story of Luke chapter 15. He walks through the whole thing. And then he says to the shepherd boys, He says, hey, um, boys, what if you got home one afternoon and one of your sheep was missing? What would you do? And the little boy said, "I, I would immediately leave my flock and run back out and find the sheep that was lost. And, and Jim said, why would you do that? And he was hoping for a big spiritual answer, but the little boy just said, so my father won't beat me. And, and uh, you know, the, the biblical principle kind of falls apart at that point. But, um, but anyway, uh, then he turns to the women and he, and he says, women, what if you lost a coin uh, that you needed for food for your family? And, and literally, the women said, I would light my candle because they didn't have electricity either. And I would look everywhere and I wouldn't do anything else until I found that lost coin because it would mean the difference between my family eating and starving. And then he turns to the men. And we'll talk about this next week. But he turns to the men and he says, men, what if one of your sons ran away? And when Jim tells the story, he says that as soon as he asked that question of those men, several of the men, their heads dropped. And what Jim didn't know is there was an epidemic during that season where boys from that particular tribe that he was speaking to were running away from home to Nairobi and other big cities looking to get rich or just get out of their father's house. And... uh, Jim says, you know, what would you do if today, while I was talking to you, one of your sons that had run away came walking up and coming home? And, and he said one of the men literally dropped to his knees and started shouting and praying to God, please let today be the day when my son comes home. The reason I tell you that story And the reason I think that Jesus told these stories is because any time Jesus talks about something that's lost, whether it's a sheep or a coin or a son, he's not really talking about a sheep or a coin or a son. He's talking about us. Each one of these stories in Luke chapter 15 is about so much more than a lady looking all over her house for a coin or a shepherd leaving his flock and going to find the sheep that got lost, or a a father waiting and looking and watching for his son to come home who had run away. The reason it's about so much more is because 
you don't have to walk very far during those stories to catch a line that runs right into your life story because we all get lost. We all have times in our lives where we run away from God. Even pastors have moments where we go, I just, I'm out. I'm tired. I don't want to do this anymore. We have moments where we feel like God's holding out on us or giving up on us. And we just don't want to do it anymore. That's why Jesus told stories like this. He uses things like sheep and coins and sun because he knows we can relate to how it feels to find something that we've lost. And so as we talk through this story today in Luke chapter 15, I want you to try to put yourself on both sides of this story. The one who's searching for something they lost and then the one who's lost and being searched for. So let's read Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 1. I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. It'll be on the screens here today. The Bible says this. Now tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. These these messed up, broken, messy, not good people would often come and hear Jesus because they were searching for something in their life. They they needed hope, and, and they believed that Jesus offered that. Some of them weren't really looking for inward hope. Some of them just heard he could do really cool tricks like heal people and bring the dead back to life and and they would follow him around like that. But literally, a bunch of the crowd that followed Jesus around were not cleaned up church people. And look how those cleaned up church people respond. Verse 2 says, This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people and even eating dinner with them because if you shared a meal with someone back in Jesus day that is putting a big stamp of approval from you to them the two people that are eating together that are dining together they're saying of each other I approve of this person and these church people just did not like it they were like man what are you doing Jesus why is he hanging out with such people so Jesus started teaching and he tells them as a story says, if, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he's found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, Look at this, powerful. There is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Powerful. We'll come back to all that. Let me start by telling you my, my, my story. Um, it's not about Africa. It's about a dog I had uh, when I was growing up. Uh, he was a chihuahua, uh, and his name was Abbott. He, we, I named him after Abbott from Abbott and Costello, and if you're under 40, you probably have no idea who that is, but they were, anyway, A-B-B-O-T-T, Abbott. Um, I had this dog, and uh, uh, man, he was, uh, he was messed up, I'm just telling you. And, and by the way, I, I don't think I've told this story, but if I have, it's an important part of our message today, so just pretend you haven't heard it, okay? Um, so when I was in junior high and high school, uh, I, I got this dog, and I'll tell you in a minute how I got him, but 
man, by the time he died, when he was 18 years old, he lived to be 18 years old, he was in bad shape. I actually bought a, brought a picture today of him to show you guys. Um, I'm just kidding. That's not really my dog. <laughs> but, but it's not far off because when he died at 18, um, he had had a stroke. Uh, and so his tongue wouldn't go back in his mouth. Like all the time when, when company would come over, we'd like try to shove his tongue back in his, in his mouth, you know, so he wouldn't embarrass us, but it would just fall right back out. And uh, he lost all his teeth. Um, his breath was atrocious. Um, and he, he, I don't know what happened to his back, but something happened because he, he walked funny uh, at the end of his life. But uh, let me go back real quick and tell you how, how I got him real quick. So when I was a little kid, really young, baby through like nine or ten years old, I had really severe asthma and respiratory issues. I, I actually, like, this is in the early 70s, and I actually spent overnight in the hospital 21 different times before I was 10 years old. Uh, when I was nine, uh, I actually stopped breathing, and they had to do code blue and resuscitate me and all that kind of stuff, and so I was a really sick kid. And uh, the week of my 11th birthday, my grandma came to me and said, hey, there's a doctor. She was a nurse. And, and she said, there's a doctor at my hospital that wants to work with you and see if he can help with your breathing problems. So we, we say, sure. And my mom takes me down to uh, meet this doctor. And when we walk in the room where the doctor is, there's my dog. There's this chihuahua sitting there. And, you know, this is not a recent statement at all, but he was from Mexico, and he brought a chihuahua uh, dog into the doctor's office. And, uh, I, you know, I'm going, what in the world is this? And he said, uh, I want to do an experiment with you. There's a belief in Mexico that chihuahuas are the only creature on earth that can contract asthma. Like respiratory issues are contagious to them. And it's believed in many, like, Mayan Indian tribes that the dog will take the respiratory problems away from its owner. So the dog will take the asthma and the owner will get well. And so all I want you to do is accept this gift of this dog. And, and I just want to track how you're doing over the next few years. And, you know, me and my mom are doing what you guys are doing right now. We're rolling our eyes, you know, we're going whatever, free dog, you know. Uh, so we take Abbott home, and this is all I can tell you. At 10 and 11 years old, I was in and out of the hospital on a regular basis. Missed so much school. Couldn't even go outside and play with my friends without wearing one of those masks on my face. That's how sick I was. And by the time I was 15 years old, I was playing high school football, running track, would go on to run track and play a little football in college. And I have never gone to the doctor again for respiratory issues. Okay, now, we're not that kind of church, so don't freak out, okay? I'm not, we don't worship chihuahuas here. <laughs> but I'm kind of like the, the blind man in John chapter 9. All I know is, before that dog came to live with me, I was a really, really sick kid. And after he started living with me, I was a normal kid who had no breathing problems ever again. That's all I'm saying. So, if your kids are looking for a dog and you want their lungs to be healthy, whatever. 
Okay, now, that's not even the story I want to tell you. That, that, was the, that was the setup story. I had to introduce you to Abbott so I could tell you the story about Abbott. Okay, so again, I got him when he was about a year old. Nah, it wasn't that old. Uh, yeah, he was probably about a year old. And he ended up living till he was 18. So, you know, long after I got out of my mom and dad's house, um, I still had him. But um, when Michelle and I met and got engaged, I was living in South Louisiana, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And uh, Abbott moved down there with me, was living there with me. And if you know anything about uh, Louisiana, uh, they have these torrential rainstorms. I mean, it'll rain two, three inches an hour. I mean, it's just crazy, crazy storms that they had. And uh, I was a youth pastor. In fact, it was my first full-time job as a youth pastor, working with high school guys. And, uh, and uh, I had a group of guys over to my house uh, that I was living in. Uh, one Friday night, and I was just trying to mentor them and speak into their lives and hang out with them. We were playing Nintendo and, you know, a bunch of stuff like that, but it was, it was my night where, it was my night where I was supposed to speak into the lives of these kids, and uh, these, these guys had fallen in love with Abbott. They tried to change his name to Chief late in his life, and I don't know why, but anyway, uh, they, they loved my dog, and uh, one of them said, hey, uh, Steve, I think Abbott needs to go to the bathroom. Can I let him out? And I said, sure. And like many high school guys that you know, his brain, you know, goes dead, and he completely forgets about Abbott, who he left outside to go to the bathroom. And uh, sooner or later, one of the guys goes, hey, they just say to everybody, hey, where's Abbott? And my heart just drops. And I go, Brent, where's Abbott? And he just runs out of the house. He knew. He was like, oh, no. And uh, we go out, and, and he's gone. And I spent almost that entire night. These guys spent the night with me, and a few of them looked for a while, but I kept looking all through the night. And I'm going to pause the story right there, and we're going to come back to it. So it's a little cliffhanger, so just leave it there. Don't worry about Abbott. We'll come back to him in a minute. Let's go back to Luke chapter 15. Uh, and, and I hope you'll see how the story's parallel. So I want to read those first two verses again because I, I want to make sure you and I capture the truth in this moment. So it says this, Now tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made Pharisees and teachers of religious laws complain that Jesus was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. The thing that people would ask Jesus more often than anything else during his three years of ministry on this earth was this right here. Jesus, why are you spending time with those people? And I don't know how you were raised, but even though I wasn't raised uh, in church until I gave my heart to Christ at 15, um, but even as a young child, my mom said, I don't want you hanging around with that boy because he's trouble, right? And your mom probably said the same thing. And, and then when I became a Christian, I, I, I gave my heart to Christ in a, in a pretty fundamental Baptist church. And we were constantly taught by our youth pastors and our Sunday school teachers, hey, don't hang around people who aren't Christians. And they would always throw a passage from the New Testament in our face that said, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers, which is not even talking about friendship and all that, and it's not even talking about whether or not you should reach out to people, but we were constantly told, hey, 
stay away from the evil people, right? The non-Christians. And I bought in. I, I believed it. In fact, all the way early into my youth pastoring, as a pastor myself, I taught that. I would tell kids things like, you know, you'll know if you're really following Jesus, if you stay away from kids at school that, you know, drink and smoke and, you know, sleep around with their friends. If you are hanging out with people like that, then that shows that you really don't love Jesus. I would actually teach that, which makes me so embarrassed now and just like appalled that those words came out of my mouth because that's the whole point, isn't it? And, and when Jesus would answer this question, when, when people would say, Jesus, why are you spending time with those people? He would always have the same answer, and it would go something like this. Look at Luke chapter 19. This is from the story of Zacchaeus, one of those messy, broken people. Jesus answered and said, for the Son of Man, referring to himself, came to seek and save the lost. That word saved there in Luke 19 comes from a word sozo, which actually means to rescue from death or destruction. And what he was saying when he would say that is, hey, I didn't didn't come for righteous people. I came for broken, lost people. He would also say things like this, Matthew chapter 9. This is when he asked Matthew, also a tax collector like Zacchaeus, uh, uh, when he was asking him, I want you to be one of my disciples, he goes to his house and has dinner, And while he's having dinner, the religious people, all the church people go, why is he eating with Matthew? He's the scum of the earth. And Jesus says this, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. And and I, I don't want you to miss this because there's really double meaning in what Jesus was saying here. On one hand, what he was saying is, I didn't come to make righteous people righteous. Like healthy people don't need me. Sick people do. And, and, and people who are already found don't need me. Lost people do. I came to sozo the lost and hurting in this world. And on the other hand, and it, if, you, if you're not careful, you'll miss it in these passages, and in this Luke chapter 15 as well. The other thing that Jesus is saying is, and by the way, you're all lost. You're all sick. You're all broken. You all need to be saved. We say this around here all the time, and we didn't make it up, but we say it a lot because we believe it's true. God uses broken and messy people because broken and messy people are all he has to choose from. That means you. That that means you, even if you're sitting here today and you're the biggest skeptic in the room and you're like, man, I don't buy all this stuff. God can use you. He wants to use you. He wants to know you. That's why he came for people like me and you. Broken, messy people. Let's keep reading. Verse 3. Again, Jesus tells them this story about a sheep, right? And he says, if a man had a hundred sheep and one of them got lost, what would he do? And I don't know about you, but I remember the first few times that I read this story in Luke chapter 15. You know what I thought? tough for him. I'm not leaving 99 to go look for one because I might find the one and lose the 99. And then I'd be in real trouble. Then my dad would really beat me if I lost 99, right? If I came home with one sheep. 
He says, won't, won't he leave the 99 and go into the wilderness to search for the one that's lost? Look, until he finds it. That's an important part of this story because it doesn't say, it doesn't stop at, won't he go into the wilderness and search for the one? Like, it doesn't stop there. It only stops when he finds it. And the reason that's important for you and I sitting in this room today is this. Whether you're found, you already have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you've already handed over the keys of your life to him, or you're lost, meaning you haven't come to that place in your life yet where you trust Jesus with every area of your life. Regardless, either situation, God will pursue you and search for you until he finds you. The only way that you can die on this earth and not know God is if you flat refuse to be found. It's the only way. In other words, I heard a preacher say it this way one time. God doesn't send people to hell. People choose to go to hell. And, and I know it's not popular to talk about hell these days, but it's real, and we should talk about it. God doesn't send people there. People choose to go to hell. Let's keep reading. He says, when, when he's found it, won't he joyfully carry it back home on his shoulders? And when he arrives, he calls together all his friends and neighbors and says, rejoice for me, with me, because I found my lost sheep. And then he says, in the same way, there's more joy over one sinner who repents and turns to God than over 99 who are righteous and have strayed away. Now, here's the crazy thing, and I want, I want to make sure we're clear on this, okay? Is, is Jesus really saying that the angels in heaven and those who have gone to heaven before us are happier when one person hands over the keys of their life to Jesus than when 99 people do the right thing every day? Is Jesus really saying that heaven's happier when a broken, messy person turns to Jesus than when you help widows or orphans or the homeless? Yep, it's exactly what it's saying. He's not mixing his words. There's no metaphor here. It's exactly what he's saying. And, and, and that's hard for some of us because once we've handed over our life to Jesus Christ, most of us spend the rest of our life taking care of other people, trying to do nice things for other people. And, and, and what this passage is saying is, that's great. Now, now listen, don't, don't get mad and fold your arms and go, well, I'm not doing that anymore then. Those widows can just... Fend for themselves, because it doesn't matter anyway, because God's not happy when I do it. No, don't miss this, okay? Don't miss this. When you do good things after you give your life to Christ, when you take care of people like widows and orphans and homeless and take care of kids in the nursery and work with our middle school or our high school students or do things for your spouse or your own children or your neighbor or someone that you work with, when you do good things for them, you know what you're doing? You're taking care of the sheep. You're being a shepherd. I don't know if you know this, but the word pastor means shepherd. It means care for the flock. And, and if you think that's only my job, you're in the wrong church. My job as the lead shepherd is to teach and inspire you to shepherd. 
and care for not only people here in the church and the babies in the nursery, but the people that you live with every day and every week. That's my job, is to teach you and inspire you to go take care of the sheep. Look at this. This is a powerful question that all of us need to answer today. Who are the sheep that God has entrusted you to take care of? And here's why I ask that. Because there are people that God has intentionally placed you near. In your job, at your school, in your neighborhood, at the gym. Fill in the blank in your own life. None of those people are an accident. You're in their life for a reason. You're there to shepherd them, to care for them, and to hopefully help them bump into Jesus, to know the hope that you have. Who who are your sheep? Who are the sheep that God has put in your life? And I would say this too. In 2018, I believe with all my heart, and I'm putting myself in this boat with us, I'm not just saying this about you. Sheep in 2018 are wandering off and getting lost at an all-time high because we are not paying attention. We're really concerned about this right here. What about me? Am I getting mine? How are people treating me? Well, that person at work just doesn't treat me very nice. You know why? Because they're lost. Or they're hurting. And you're there to help them, not be bitter towards them. Your sheep, whether they're in the kids' ministry here or the student ministry or coming through the front door and you as a greeter or at your work or in your neighborhood or at your kids' ball practice or, or those, you know, those people that you pass by every day at the store or the bank or wherever. Listen to me. Those people are not just an inconvenience they're sheep. And they're looking for someone who cares enough to go out and search for them until they're found. And what we do sometimes is we hear a message like this and then we go to work the next day and it comes to our mind and we do one nice thing for somebody and then we pat our back on our, you know, pat ourselves on the back and we go, you're welcome God, there, I did it. It's not what the passage says. It says the shepherd searched until he found it. Teenagers, they're in this room today. You guys, it's not an accident who you sit by in English class or math class or who your locker's next to on your team. That's not an accident. God put you there because he wants you to care for those sheep. It's your job. Nobody else's. It's not your mom or dad's, and it's not mine. I did school. I'm done. Like, you're there not just to make good grades. You're a missionary. That's your job. In your, uh, in your chairs is a gray card that says, sign me up. I want you all to grab that real quick and look at it with me. I know that what we're about to talk about is going to make some of you uncomfortable, and some of you are going to leave today and go, man, that pastor, what a guilt trip. (laughs) And if that's the way you see it, I'm sorry, but that's not what what I'm about to do. 
I'm about to have a serious talk with you as our church family about caring for the sheep. I tell our staff every single week, we're going to have somebody walk through those front doors of this school, and it's our only shot to care for them, to let them know that we're not as selfish and weird as they think Christians are out there in the world. One chance. And to do that, we need people that stand at the front doors and love people like a Labrador retriever does when you see it. Now, that, I don't want you to actually lick people because that would not go well, but we need people who can smile Think about the power of a smile in your own life. And just welcome people when they come to this place. We want people to feel welcome. We want them to be encouraged and uplifted when they leave this place. And the reason I'm telling you that is because we need more people like that. We need people that will stand at the front doors and stand here at the gym door and in the lobby and at kids' check-in and other places that will love on sheep when they walk through the door. That's you. Like, who else do you think was going to do that? Like, we don't hire workers. The same goes for kids right now. People are rocking babies and, and playing with little kids and teaching kids about God. I know what you're thinking. Some of you are going, sorry, man, I'm allergic to kids. I, I, you know, I don't know how that happened, but I don't like them. Fine, fine. I'm not telling you you have to do everything. Listen to me. I want you to look at that card and do something. It's as easy as this. And I'm going to ask you again when the message is over today. The greatest Mother's Day gift that you can give today is not to your mom. It's to our setup and teardown crew. When we're done today, I want to encourage everybody to stay for 15, 20 minutes and help us tear this thing down. Because when a bunch of people do it, the whole thing's done in under 45 minutes. When just a few people do it, these guys stay here well into the afternoon. And the gift that you could give them is time with their mom or their wife today. And so I want you to practice shepherding by staying to tear down your life. How is that shepherding sheep? I'll tell you. Because if we had a church where there were no chairs to sit in, not very many sheep would come to this church. Because they'd go, that's the church where they make you stand the whole time. (laughs) Right? You're shepherding because you're caring about the guys, the handful of guys that turn this school into a church every single week. You know what you're saying to them? Thank you. Here, I'll help. And and take this as as a guilt trip if you want. It is so easy to think that you've done your duty of listening to me talk today and there, God, I did it. It was Mother's Day. I even took a picture with my mom and now I'm done. But what I'm learning in my life, and I haven't learned it yet, but what I'm learning is this. The more I take the focus off of me and put it on helping other people, the happier I get. It's crazy. Because society teaches us the exact opposite. And so here's what I want you to do. While I'm talking, there are pins around. I want you to fill that card out while I finish our story today. And I want you to leave it in the chair. And one of our team, 
while hopefully we're all helping tear down today, one of our team will collect those cards and then the leader of those teams will reach out to you and get you signed up to help on those teams. And here's my promise to you. Everybody look at me, I'm telling you. This is a promise. It's kind of like the tithing promise, right? And if you don't know what that is, we're in the middle of this season where I've challenged our church to tithe, to give one-tenth of all the money they make back to God's church. And if at the end of that three months, if God's not working in your life, and I don't mean a helicopter dropping free money on your lawn, okay? I don't mean you get a raise that doubles your salary, but if God's not moving and working in your life, then at the end of that three months, you come tell me that your life is worse off since you started tithing, and I'll give you every dime back. It's a promise. And the same goes true for this card. I want you to serve faithfully for three months. And you don't have to serve every Sunday. In fact, the more people that serve, the less everybody has to serve. Y'all get that, right? Serve for three months. Maybe that's only three times. And at the end of that, if you can come and look me in the eye and say, I hated every minute of it. That was the worst experience of my life. I'm never doing that again. Fine. But I don't think that'll be the case. I think you'll experience a level of joy that you didn't know was possible. Because that level of joy only comes when you empty yourself and give to other people. Another way that you can care for sheep is by getting involved in life groups. Over here at the Get Connected table, we have a list. And a lot of our life groups are gearing down for the summer. Some of them will meet through the summer, but then in August we'll kick off again. And and one of the best things that you can do for you, for your own care, and for the care of others is to get connected into a life group. Real quick, let me tell you this. Our Financial Peace University life group just ended this week. And Mike Baker, uh, he and Susie lead that. And listen to what he told me. This is caring for the sheep right here. Over the course of that 10-week class of financial peace, four families knocked out over 100000 dollars in debt yeah you should clap for that unbelievable all four of those families are now tithing either they started tithing again they were already tithing or they've started tithing for the first time and tithing just means one-tenth that's literally what it means in my over 30 years of ministry either as a student myself when I was a high school kid or as a pastor myself, I've had some great shepherds in my life. You know what I mean by that? People that looked out for me. People that cared enough to pull me aside and go, hey, you okay? And I don't know about you, but I'll just speak for me. I know I could get better at that. How about you? But as I was studying this week, I don't know why, I just made a list. And it it won't take me very long to go through this list, but I wonder what your list would look like of people who've shepherded you. And as I read this list, don't only think of that, because I want you to think, who stopped to care for you? But also think, who am I caring for? Whose list would I be on? It goes like this. Those who shepherded and cared for me, J.B. Collingsworth, 
Woody Shank, James Skinner, Wes Searcy, Jan Taylor, Vicki James, Richard Longmate, Stacy Sagely, Wes and Kathy Otwell, Jack and Jane Webb, Kenneth and Vonda Morton, Joe Bagwell, Randy Goldsmith. Those people left a mark on my life. Like some of those people I haven't even seen in 30 years. But they made the list because they shepherded me, they cared. When I was lost, they came looking for me. People that I've had the honor of shepherding with who still cared for me. Jeff and Julie Crawford, John Cope, Ronnie Floyd, Alex and Meredith Hamaya, Ron Stewart, Daryl Wright, Jeff Brockman, Ben Taylor, Christy Widener, Stephanie Jamison, Jim Geyer, Joe and Vicki Geis, Bob and Kathy Keener, Bob Bell, Breck and Karen Knight, Doug Fields, Josh Griffin, Toby Slough, Jim Kuykendall, Barrett and Melanie Snare, J.D. and Shelby Stevens, Randy and Shelley Coyar, Ben and Chanel DeWitt, Chris and Elizabeth Patton. It didn't take me very long. I'm not kidding. I made that list the other day in five minutes. And the power of that list is that I stopped for a minute and went, whoa, God intentionally put a lot of people in my life to care for me. And then the second part came, whoa, God's put me in a lot of people's lives and it's not an accident. I'm there to leave a mark. I'm there to care. So as we close today, we spent the whole time talking about if you're the shepherd. But what if you're sitting here today and you're going, dude, I'm the sheep. I'm lost, man. I'm broken. I don't have the energy to help somebody else. Like, what about me? And I'm glad you asked. To answer that, I want to go back to Abbot the Chihuahua. Real spiritual ending here. I remember tears streaming down my face as I walked through the neighborhood in the rain that night. Sounds so wimpy and goofy and cheesy, I know, but I I wept. I would walk by the drainage ditches, you know, the big culverts that, you know, big holes in the street in the gutter that lead to the sewer and the drainage. And I thought, oh my, because it's literally a little chihuahua, little. I thought, oh my gosh, this water literally could wash him into there. Hour after hour, I left my responsibility. I was the youth pastor, and those parents trusted me to have those high school kids spend the night at my house. And I didn't even spend the night at my house. I spent the night walking through the neighborhood looking for my dog. And finally, at about 5.30 in the morning, under one of those giant live oak trees, I see my dog, and he's sitting there in the rain, soaked, doing what chihuahuas do. You know, he's just, you know, just shivering. I pick that dog up, and I know this sounds cheesy, but don't miss the point. I pick that dog up, and as I walked into the house, I literally held him up. And those high school boys who were still playing video games when I got back home literally cheered. And they started going, Chief, Chief, Chief. And I was like, it's not his name. But anyway, the point is, I didn't stop looking. 
until I found them. And when I brought him home, the other sheep rejoiced with me that the lost sheep had been found. And let me tell you, in case you're thinking of yourself as a sheep today, let me tell you why I didn't stop looking. Because I was his dad. And dads don't stop looking for their lost kids until they're found. In fact, on the screen, we say it this way. A good father will never stop looking for one of his children when they're lost. And God hadn't stopped looking for you. You might be here today and you're thinking, man, I'm way too far gone. Take it from one who knows. You are never too far gone for Jesus to come looking for you. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you died for broken, lost sheep like us. Thank you, Jesus, that you don't just look for a little while and then give up and leave us to fend for ourselves. You keep looking until we're found. God, I pray two things today as we leave. I pray, number one, that we would learn to be better shepherds. Whether it means filling out a card and shepherding through serving our local church here or going to work and school in our neighborhood and genuinely caring for the people that we live close to every week. Convict our hearts, God. Bring people to our mind and help us shepherd better. And then, Jesus, I pray that if someone's here today and they're a lost sheep, that they would know it's never too late to come home. It's never, they're never too far gone and it's never too late. Thank you, Jesus. It's in your name I pray. Amen.